Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. Thank you for all that you do, all that you are doing in the midst of us today. God, your presence, Lord, it marks hearts. You make us come alive. Lord, in the midst of depravity, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, the light of heaven cuts through. And I thank you, Lord, that your light shines. It reveals It helps us to see between what is true, what is not true. It helps us to understand where we stand. God, I thank you that you illuminate our path. God, that your word clarifies. And I'm asking this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cause a spirit of revelation to rest upon this congregation, upon these words, that we might understand what you are saying, Lord, to the church Ours, yes, but Lord, globally and what you are doing in the midst of the generations, God, I thank you for that. So I bless this time. We set it apart. We invite you into it, Lord. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. And if you dare to agree with that, you said, amen. We're going to go after it this morning. Hope you're ready. Got your Bible track shoes on. There'll be several chunks of scripture I'm going to read, but it'll be for context sake. And, uh, and so we'll put it up there, and hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Otherwise, I'll do my best to articulate well. Exodus 23, verse 20. God is talking to Moses, and he's giving him instructions concerning the land that Israel was about to come into. They've come out of Egypt. They have been in slavery, multiple generations of slavery. In the midst of that, they are now having to learn God's ways. They're in the wilderness. Moses is teaching them. God's giving them his law, his covenant. He's explaining to them clarity so that they know how to walk with the Lord as their God. There are other gods that they have been uh, experienced. They have experienced the Egyptian gods. There's not clarity as to what the Lord demands from their life. And so it's really important that God gives direction. How many know that when your boss or your parent gives you a command, that it's for your welfare? Think sometimes how we approach commands when someone's telling us what to do. Your attitude determines like, ah, this is going to be a good experience or not. If you believe that they have your best in mind, then their instructions become life to you. They're helping you to succeed. If you think someone's trying to control you or manipulate, ah, man, that's a little bit harder to trust what they're saying. If you ever experienced a bad boss, that's what it feels like. Someone who's manipulative, that's no good. God, our Father, is not manipulative. He loves you so much. He absolutely, a million times over, has your best interest in mind. You know that you're a child because he disciplines you. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. 
Do you know the difference between Jacob's life and Esau's life? Esau was never corrected. Jacob got the woodshed a lot. God let Esau just take his life to whatever degree he wanted. He continued to correct Jacob. When the Lord brings correction into your life, it's because he loves you, because he does not want you to reap destruction. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord brings instruction to Moses. It reads like this, verse 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way into the promised land, to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him. Speaking of the angel, obey. Do not be rebellious. He will not pardon your transgression. God the Father, merciful. Angels, not. You really ought to talk to God the Father and cease attempting to talk to angels. Hmm. That's where the weird gets into some charismatic Christianity. Let's not do that. Let's talk to your father. If you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, angels are messengers, they are not the originator of a message, then I will be an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversaries. My angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Ites, okay? From that day, this moment forward, that's what I'm going to refer to it as, the Ites. I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds. In other words, do not try to come into or under their culture. You must present your own. Don't serve them. Do, don't do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow and break the sacred pillars into pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. Would you declare that with me today? I will serve the Lord my God. That was pretty weak. I will serve the Lord my God. Come on. There we go. He will bless your bread. He will bless your water. I will remove sickness from your midst. There will be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I'll fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people who, uh, among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I'll send hornets ahead of you, and they will drive out the Hivites, the ites. There you go. I will not drive them out before you in a single year. This is so important to understand. God does things generationally, even though you want to have it done yesterday. Why, God, haven't you fulfilled your promise? He's in the middle of fulfilling it, and here's the reason. I will not drive them out in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. What are we waiting on? Your strength and fruitfulness so that you can actually possess the promise God's given you. In other words, if you don't do the work, you ain't ready. God may tell you your destiny is to bench press 400 pounds. But my friend, if you go and you sit under a 400-pound bench press and you have not been working out, can I tell you, it will be the death of you. 
You may be called to move mountains, but if you don't start digging rock, you're not going to be ready. Little by little, you must gain strength. You must grow. You have to. It's a part of the process. Everybody say, it's a part of the process. Mm -hmm. You will be fruitful and take possession of the land, and I'll fix the boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and I'll drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will become a snare to you. That's like really clear language. It's really clear. The Lord is saying to them, you must have the Lord as your God. Do not allow the influence of these other spirits to cause your culture to embrace it. And why is this important? Historically, I want you to understand where Israel is. Israel is literally, this land that God has promised Moses and would bring the people of Israel into, that land is in the middle of the trade routes between nations. It's the most influential place, location, physical location of the ancient world. God was going to give them the cross-section of the globe. And he wanted them to serve him and him alone. So that as every other nation passed through their boundaries, they would recognize the blessing of the Lord, God's goodness on this people, recognize how his ways are different than the ways of the world, and the entire world would come to know that there is a God of all creation living in Israel. It wasn't for them to control the world. It wasn't for them to win every single nation or control or dominate every single nation. In fact, nothing in here promises or calls them to that. It's all focused on let me be your God and do not apologize for it. Stand up and be an influencer do not come under the systems of the world. And in the midst of that, no sickness, no disease, no miscarrying, fullness of life, blessing on your food and your water supplies. In other words, everything will work. And the world will take notice. Now, that's a good word right there, isn't it? Can I tell you that the game hasn't changed at all? It's still what God calls you to hasn't changed at all. It's still what God calls you to. Sometimes we get confused because as the world influences, we rise up with a raging fist. But the Lord's not calling you to dominate the world. He's calling you to serve him wholeheartedly and watch as he influences the world through you. Hmm. The borders of the promised land were fixed. Borders of the promised land are fixed. Unfortunately, Moses, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, Moses 
represented the father incorrectly and his own transgression in his heart prevented him from entering into promise. We know that. We've talked about that. If you missed that sermon, go back, listen to it. It builds upon this today. We have Moses who ends up passing away in the wilderness and Joshua is raised up as the next generation leader. The promises are yet to be fulfilled and it's now Joshua's responsibility to step into them. You're not going to see everything fulfilled in your lifetime. Chances are some of it is actually supposed to be the next generation. That's a good thing. It's supposed to go on beyond you. And you get to pray from heaven that it would be fulfilled. Isn't that fun? Joshua 1, verse 1. It came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan River and all this people into the land I'm giving you, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. That's an awesome promise right there. Everywhere you go, it's yours. Do you know that that's conditional? The condition is this. You have to go there in order for me to give it to you. You got to go there if it's supposed to be yours. If you're called to it, you should try. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. To stand up unapologetically and be who God called you to be with a heart focused on him, unrelenting, not willing to submit and or come into alignment with modern culture, with the culture that is denying the father. Not making room from it. Choosing to stand in that way. You get to love, you get to forgive, you get to be merciful, but you must not yield. That is the call. Be strong and courageous. It's going to take courage. People aren't going to like that you are unwilling to yield your point. Nope. Jesus is the way. Nope. The Lord has created this order. It works in this way. Hmm. Be strong and courageous. This book of the law shall not depart from you. Meditate on it. Think about it. Be careful. Do according to what's written. For then you will make your way prosperous. Live according to my ways. It'll work. You know what's awesome about this? If you take out a map and you look at the conquest of Joshua, where he went, and you also put next to it a map that is drawn out according to what God said the borders of the territory would be. Okay? If you compare what God promised Moses to where Joshua physically went, guess what you find out? You find out that the land that Joshua went to became the Israel's inheritance, and the lands that were promised to him but he did not go to remain unfulfilled till today. That's a powerful truth right there. 
you got to go there. He promised it to you. You got to go there. You got to try. You got to put your foot to the land. You got to put actions to that mouth of yours. Right? God's calling, God's called me to be, and then fill in the blank. Whatever great thing that you feel like God's called you to be. Amen to that. Now, you're going to have to go actually do that. You're waiting for him to just drop it on your lap. That ain't how it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Judges chapter 2. Fast forward one more generation. You ready? This is where we're going to go. You guys doing okay? Feel free to elbow your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you today. <laughs> Judges 2, starting in verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, so they've gone through the years of conquest. They've gone through years of war. He dismissed the people. The sons of Israel each went to his inheritance to possess the land. The Lord, or excuse me, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. In other words, that generation of leadership. All of them who had seen the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. The people of Israel served as long as the testimony was still alive. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then there arose another generation. I'm going to say another generation. After them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done in Israel. Your testimony is so important because as long as your testimony of what God has done stays alive in your family, it will prophesy to the next generation your identity, who we are, what we're called to, all that stuff. You must pass this on to your children, to your children's children. Don't sit quietly. Talk to them about what God's done for you. Bring it to their mind. Help them. And the point of confessing the testimony is until they have their own testimonies. You hold yours until they have theirs. Because once they have theirs, it'll be passed on the same. Judges 6. This is where we're going to camp. Judges 6. Verse 1. This is a bit of a life message for me. We were in Israel a few weeks back, and we came to the springs that Gideon actually led God's people to and they drank from. We're actually there. I have a picture of me kneeling down by the water, lapping up the water. I didn't really put the water in my mouth, but it's a nice picture. <laughs> then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What you come to understand is the people of Israel made covenant with Baal and Asherah and the gods of other nations that were still dwelling in the land because they failed to walk out fully the command of the Lord. It's exactly what he said. They will be a snare to you unless you completely do what I'm telling you to do. Partial obedience is not an option, y'all. You actually have to walk this thing out. 
Otherwise, there's a snare to the next generation, and it's exactly what happens. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave Israel into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. That's a crazy statement. God allowed the world to dominate God's people for seven years in order for their sin to become clear. The wilderness season isn't something to mess around with. You're meant to walk through it. You're not meant to camp there and make a living there. You're meant to get through, embrace the promise, hold up the testimony, live fully for him. Because of Midian, Scripture says, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens, which were in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. A den is like a hole. You just like carve out of the mountain a little like place for your family to live, right? A cave, you obviously know, it's naturally formed. You can go into the cave. A stronghold is a bunch of rock outcroppings. Think of like a castle made out of rocks and in the middle of it's an open area. That's what a stronghold is. And so Israel, get this picture, was living in the land of promise at the crossroads of history called to serve God, called to influence the world that would pass through their borders. But when Midian began to camp against them, this is what that means. It, it doesn't mean, don't think warlords. Don't think like battle lines. That's, that's not what this is. It's that the Midianites along with the Amalekites would come in and they would just live in the land that Israel was occupying. The scripture says that they came in like innumerable, so many of them. They just came in and they camped, squatted. They're just squatting in the land. The scripture says they, they came in with their livestock and their tents and they were like locusts. The camels were innumerable. They came in in order to devastate the land. And so Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And they began to cry out to the Lord. This is the picture. You got Israel living in the land of promise and things are going good. And God said, hey, I'm with you. I will bless you. Just love me. Don't make covenant with the other gods. Don't make room for this. Love me with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength. Focus on me and I will make everything else work in your life. But that's not what Israel does. Israel forgets who God is, forgets the testimony, and they begin, they, the scripture calls it playing the harlot. In other words, they're flirting with other gods. The worship of Baal, you can find Baal altars. They have them in Israel. They've dug them up archaeologically. There's these giant, I mean, it's as big as the stage. Imagine a circle platform made out of rock stack, and then they would cover it with clay. So it's this perfect circle platform. And in the center of it would be the idol and an Asherah pole. And the platform was used for lewd acts that it might entice the gods to have fertility so that the land would be fertility. 
so that the land would bear much fruit. That's what the worship of Baal and Asherah was. Big platforms. This is what Israel's doing. In the center of their towns, they have these things built. In high places, they have these things built. And the people all come and play the harlot. For it was when Israel would sow into the field that the Midianites would come with the Amalekites and they would go against them and they would camp against and they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And so it's not a battle line. It's that they're coming in and they squat in the land and they just start eating everything. And it's because of this that Israel was brought low. What that means is they had no self-esteem. They had no confidence. Like, how do we deal with this problem? What are we supposed to do? There's so, there's so many of them, and they're not being violent towards us, so we can't just, like, kill them, can we? What are we supposed to do? But they would come in, and they would just destroy the produce of the land, and they would camp against them. It was a tactic of war. And in the midst of that, this is where we have Israel go, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. And something turns in their hearts, and they begin to cry out to God. And so as the Midianites, Midian literally means this. The word means contention. Okay? As a people group comes in and camps and starts to be contentious with you, they're not really doing anything evil necessarily against you. They're just contentious. They're argumentative. They won't let you have your say. It's a spirit. You have truth and prevailing, but see, you've got to be courageous and strong in truth. Otherwise, this contention begins to wear you down. You're like, man, I don't really want to argue about that. And so instead of saying something, you don't. And it's camping against. The word Amalekite, if you look at the root word of the word Amalekite, this people group, it basically means depression. And so as your purpose is robbed from you because of contention, you enter into a state that no longer has purpose. And you don't know how to do anything. You're not quite sure what to do. <laughs> do, you, do you see what's going on in our culture right now? Y'all, we have been encamped against. And contention has got us doing this. Instead of living in the cities, instead of living in the prominent places, instead of holding places of influence, we have retreated to the mountains into our small churches, medium churches, and large churches. Dens, caves, and strongholds. Because it's way safer with four walls around you than being open in culture. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Come on. Y'all, God wants to, he, he wants to position your life in a place of influence so that the world can see his goodness. Not to dominate the world, that's not the point, but to hold your place of prominence so that others can see truth. How will they ever know truth if no one stands for it? So I don't know what that looks like in your workplace. I don't think it's standing on a, a desk and preaching. I don't think that is. But I think it might be like, hey, we don't skim across the top. I won't do that. I'm not going to lie on my sales receipt. 
I'm not going to fill in the blank. I'm not going to fib. I'm not going to push the boundary of moral corruption in our business practices while others are doing so and then they're putting pressure on you like, hey, they're being contentious. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing it? You think you're better than us? Right? And this thing begins to, and, and it erodes the witness and the influence of that business, but they don't see it, but you do. And before long, the business's reputation is that it's immoral. And there you are, a believer, as one of the lead salespeople. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what happens. This is where you go, mm, maybe I don't really feel comfortable being here. And so I'm going to step back and I'm going to form my own little cave over here. I'm going to do my work in a place that has no influence on culture. Because people leave me alone. And after 2020, when there was such a need, a sense of fear, intimidation to pull back, it has been very difficult for believers to re-engage and stand up because there's this thing. It has happened in so many people. There's an anxiety about being in prominence. We're watching culture destroy people in prominence right now. It's called cancel culture. You don't want to be numbered among them. There's fear. The Lord is calling you to be courageous. Are you alive? So they cry out to the Lord, Lord, help us. And the Lord sends a prophet. A prophet's job is literally just to say what God's saying and leave it with people to decide. Good luck. If you feel that way every Sunday, I apologize. It's just the job, okay? I'm trying. I'm trying to help us. Okay, the prophet comes in and says this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors, and I dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Because of that, they've withdrawn from their place of prominence and influence, and it's just being ransacked by people who don't even care. I think that the Lord wants to position your life at crossroads of significance and that you're called to display his goodness so that the world knows and has hope. Can I just tell you that demons don't care if you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist. Demons hate and are trying to destroy the image of God, which is in all people. And so across the world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, they all live under oppression and demonic stuff that is destructive. But believers have hope, and we have a covenant that overcomes all that. But that light has to be seen. Someone's got to stand. And so the prophet comes, and we pick it up in verse 11. You ready? The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Orpha. It belonged to Joash and Abizarite. And his son's name was Gideon. Gideon was beating out wheat 
in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Huh. This passage is preached wrong so often, and it just ticks me off, and so I'm going to go ahead and stand on a soapbox for a second. A wine press was in the middle of a town. It was a communal thing. Everyone brought the fruit of the harvest in, and we all pressed the grapes together. So Gideon is not hiding from anybody. He comes to the center of town with some wheat, and he looks at all the Midianites who are there just destroying stuff and eating stuff, camped against them. What's he do? He starts to thresh out the grain right in the wine press. Uh, this is how I imagine it. There's a crowd gathered around him, and he's threshing it out, and he's looking at him like, what? What are you going to do? <laughs> and he's ticked. And the reason I know he's ticked is because when an angel of the Lord shows up to talk to him, this is his response. Okay, ready? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, who, by the way, the reputation is if you see the angel of the Lord, you die. Gideon says, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are his miracles that our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian? Does that sound like, oh, 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 No, that sounds like what? What? What would you like? What are you saying, oh, valiant warrior? Okay, come here. If that's true, if the Lord is with me, then why? Hmm. You ever felt that? Okay. Well, maybe the Lord's waiting on you to stand up and do something. Maybe you're not waiting on him. Maybe he's waiting on you. Because this is what the Lord says. The, look, the Lord looked at him and said, fine, go in your strength and deliver, me, <laughs> deliver Israel from Midian. <laughs> oh, big guy, you think you can do it? Fine, go in your strength and do it then. The Lord looked at him and said, go in your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? All right, all you needed was a commission? Fine, here it is. Do it. He said, oh, Lord, how should I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest. But the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. That phrase is so powerful. We talked about this last week. The way that David became a champion was by facing off against Goliath. One versus one. And God says to Gideon, this is what's going to happen. I am going to put my presence on you and you will face Midian as if it's one man. You will be the champion. That's what he's saying. I'm going to make it so that your action is what sets the domino effect and Israel will prevail. That's what he's saying. And it looks so small. Because what can I do in my own strength, Lord? But has not the Lord sent you? And he's with you. 
And your small actions are not small at all. Because as soon as you set them in motion, it'll be like Goliath's head coming off and the enemy will turn in terror. So Gideon said to him, if I've found favor in your sight, give me a sign. Please don't depart from me. And he goes off and you kind of get the picture there. Gideon is saying to the Lord, listen, I'm okay. That's awesome. I feel the call. I can see this thing has happened. I'm out here. You're calling me a mighty valiant warrior. I need a sign, something that demonstrates this is real. The angel of the Lord does it, demonstrates it's real. Verse 25, this will be our last passage, and then we'll close. On that same night, okay, Gideon's had this encounter with the Lord. He freaks out, oh, it's the Lord. And then the Lord goes, ah, yeah, I'm not going to kill you. Don't worry, okay? That same night, the Lord says to Gideon, probably in a dream, something like this. Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and I want you to pull down the altar of Baal. Remember that big platform. It's not a small task. It's a big platform. I want you to cut down the Asherah pole beside it, and I want you to build an altar to the Lord your God right on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. Take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah bull. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, I have a few social media posts if you'd like to take it to Twitter that we can get this going on for you too. There's a few. You don't even need much. You just pop, put it out there, and wow, you'll see an army manifest, right? Gideon took 10 of the servants of his father's household. He was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, so he did it at night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down. The second bull was offered on the altar, which had been built. And they said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched and inquired, they found out it was Gideon, the son of Joash. The men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he can die for he's torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he cut down the Asherah which was beside it. And then Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Will you deliver for him? Whoever will plead for him will be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself because someone else tore his altar down. That's a dad who gets between the crowd and goes, Yeah, touch my son and I will kill you. Fathers and mothers, let that bear come out of you sometimes when defending your kids as they take stands for the Lord. Let it be you that takes the heat. We have a habit of the young generation will take a stand and then we're like, whoa, and we step back from it instead of intervening. Who knows who the Lord is raising up among the young ones right now? Yeah, it might be messy. Yeah, it might cause a fight. But, oh, but it might be the Lord. Let Baal contend against him, because he's the one who tore down the altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, oh, excuse me, sorry, who will plead for him, he'll be dead by morning. If he's a god, let him contend. Therefore, on that day, his dad named Gideon Jeroboam. 
He renamed him. His name means let Baal contend against him. The Lord says to Gideon, it's going to be a champion fight. It'll be you against Baal. The dad, the second, the, the generation above, affirms what God has said, even though he doesn't know what's happened, and renames his son, let Baal contend with him. Let's make Gideon a champion. He picked a fight. Let's see what happens. This is what's going on. He renames him. His name is that for the rest of his days. is no longer Gideon. Then, everyone say then. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Something happened in the spirit that set off the chain reaction to draw up the battle lines. They were just camping against them. We're living at peace, brother. Come on, chill out. Make love, not war. except for it's destroying the next generation. And so when Gideon takes action, suddenly something in the spirit goes, whoop, we're at war. I don't know what will set off the culture war in our world. There are lots of things that may be little skirmishes on the outside, but the Lord has called you, and he's anointed you, and he's with you. You're not to just take up any battle cry. You're not to just go out in the middle of culture and do anything. Don't be crazy. That's not the point. The point is to be obedient to what the Lord is saying to you. Gideon is dealing with a family issue. It's his father's household that has the altar. Gideon tears it down, and when that action comes, something in the spirit kicks off, and now suddenly there's a battle at hand. And then it says, last verse, so the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and he called together his family to go to war and then others came as well. And then the story plays out magnificently. It's miracle after miracle. And the Lord wins the battle. Look up here a second. What if your choice as a mom, your choice as a dad to love the Lord your God in your home environment to not allow the altars of Baal, which is immorality, the idea that you're going to get ahead in life, you're going to, your finances are going to be blessed if you'll just be a little immoral. That's what Baal is. It's the love of money. It's a worship system built around you getting ahead. How about if you stood up and said, nope, the Lord is my provider. I shall not compromise myself or my family and when you did that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and suddenly you're in the forefront of something that is a sweeping change to our nation. It's hard to imagine, but that's exactly what happened with Gideon. I believe that's what he wants to do with you. He's not calling you to go to war with culture. He's calling you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And when you do that, the Lord will set up the boundaries. The Lord will set up the battle lines. The Lord will promote. The Lord will do that. It'll be by the Spirit. But this in your strength, yeah, your household needs to be chose. You've got to choose. I'm going to serve the Lord. And when you do that, wow, watch out.
I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we blow the trumpet in our own strength. But the Lord's simply calling you to raise the standard of worship to the Lord in your household. Gideon wasn't trying to challenge what everything else is going on in Israel. Gideon was raising up the worship of the Lord in his household. And then it set things off. Live it first. I know you have something to say, and there's platforms to say it on these days. Put it into practice in your household. Demonstrate it. And watch the Lord set up those battles for you. Are you alive today? This moment, y'all, I'm telling you, God is on this generation, and he wants to do something so powerful. The choice is ours. It's really simple. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. How about you? Just stand to your feet today. Like Israel, the Lord is positioning your life for influence. He wants to set you in those crossroads. It's not to conquer the world, certainly not to kill people, okay? It is to demonstrate his goodness on a life that lives for him. Live the best life ever. Love the Lord with all your heart. Watch as he is the one who raises that standard and calls others to it. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you, God, that your mercies are new every day. Can anybody say amen to that? God, that your mercies are new every day. And sometimes, Lord, we've led with the sword when really you were trying to offer peace. And Lord, sometimes we've compromised by giving peace when really we were not supposed to give up ground. And I'm asking today by the Spirit of God that you would remind us, bring back to our remembrance the clear little things that we are to be faithful in. The standards set for our households. The standards set for our business practices. Lord, raise up leaders among us who will hold that line even in politics and not be compromised by the world. Lord, would you raise up in our day, modern day Gideons, modern day Daniels, raise up champions, Lord. And God, I thank you for each one here by your spirit you have called them to be a champion in their circles of influence, in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their businesses, in their marriages. Lord, come upon them so powerfully in these days. Holy Spirit of God, would you remind us of the things that we are to do in our strength so that you can come upon and fulfill your promise. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Now, in this place today, there is surely sons and daughters who've come to church. You haven't been in a while, and it's because your mom made you. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Okay? But you need to know your mom's praying for you, otherwise you wouldn't be here. And you're hearing this message today because God's made you for more than what you're experiencing. And it is so simple. All you have to do is surrender to Jesus. Let him be Lord. When you do that, everything begins to change. He'll forgive you, he'll wash you, as well as set you in that place of prominence. So every voice today, I'm gonna invite you to pray along with me, but if that's you, and you know I'm talking to you, and you're like, yeah, I want that, pray with your heart today. Let the words mean something. 
Amen? So every voice out loud, including you, God lovers to God haters. Let's do this, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven. Come on, every voice. Father in heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus. That he was a champion on my behalf. He won a victory I could not win. And today I choose to believe that his victory has become mine. And so by faith I receive forgiveness, washing, sonship, and this covenant that has brought me into your kingdom. I will serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, bless your people today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and his countenance shine upon your life and he grant you peace. And everyone who dared to agree with that said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.